There are many types of prayers in the Bible. There are prayers of intercession, which is when we pray for someone else, asking for blessings or favor. There are prayers of consecration, when we give something to the Lord. There are what's called imprecatory prayers, where we're actually asking God to do harm to his enemies. There are prayers in the Holy Spirit. There are prayers of celebration. There are prayers of lament. And of course, there are prayers of worship. Paul tells us to pray all kinds of prayers for all the saints on every occasion. But what kind of prayers to God should typify the gathering of the saints? That is to say, when the redeemed people of God gather in his name for worship, what kind of prayers should hallmark those worship meetings? Now, there are several ways to answer this question. Perhaps the easiest way, and I would submit the most common way, would be to pull the audience, as it were, and let them simply tell you what they like, and then do that. Or you could ask the most talented singers and musicians what they would like to do and follow their lead. Or you could stick your finger in the air and test the cultural winds. What are all the other churches doing? Specifically, the ones that are attracting the most people and the most money. What's on the radio? If people are buying music that calls itself Christian, what kind of music is that? Should we just stick that into our worship services and call it a day? I hope you're sniffing out the fallacy in these methods already. The problem with all of the above options described is that they're people-centric, and that is an insufficient way to get an answer to the question of how we should worship the king of the universe. A novel and unique solution, and by that I only mean it's the only one that fits the problem, is to consult with the king of the universe himself, asking him what he would like when people gather to worship him. Luckily, he's given us that answer in his word. Now, I've done some of the research for you, so I'll just tell you what he looks for. John 4.23, which is probably familiar to you, says that God is looking for worshipers. Many kinds of prayers are allowed and welcomed by God, as we've said, but God is specifically looking for worshipers. A worshiper is someone who focuses on God's worth, his worthiness, his right to be honored, adored, lauded, obeyed, and submitted to. That's worship. It's a very narrow definition. Psalm 50, 150 says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. That's worship. It's the kind that God's working, looking for, and we're commanded to do it. But perhaps the most compelling point here is to simply consider what happens in the throne room of God itself. What's happening on his home court, if you will, and has been happening for all eternity. We have a couple of significant vignettes that frame that picture for us. The meatiest of those is in Revelation 4 and 5. 
In that passage, John describes this incredible scene. Then he actually records what the worship is like before God's throne. He tells us the actual lyrics to the songs. Please pay attention as I read this section. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Ruler of all, who was and who is and who is to come, the unchanging eternal God. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanksgiving to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. More lyrics coming. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power. For you created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created and brought into being. Now, there is more, much more, but allow me to summarize. Throne room worship exactly fits the description from Psalm 150. The worship is about God, who he is, his nature, his greatness, his eternity, his glory, his worthiness, his power, and his perfect acts, including creating all that there is. You'll note that there isn't one personal pronoun anywhere in this passage. No mention of the singers or how they're feeling or how much they really want to worship God even. Nothing. Zero. All the attention is on God. Second person pronouns. You, you, you. An utter absence of first person pronouns. I, me, me, I, me. Now that we've established what God is looking for via his eternal word, allow me to move the camera over to our church houses. Here's what we sang where I attended last weekend, right? Quoting lyrics to you. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Now, I know you're already up in arms because I'm quoting these lyrics and you're telling me all the reasons that this song is great. And I'm missing the point of the song and all that. I simply want to make the point that this song insinuates that the reason we should praise God is because what he's done for us. I am the proof of his worthiness. Now, this is unhealthy thinking, friends. I could say more about that song, and maybe I will someday. But I'll move on to some other songs. Tell me if you've heard these lyrics. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in the darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after me. How about another? I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along, and you put me back together, and every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Hey, oh, there's nothing better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness and my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend, etc., etc. 
How about another? Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. Come on, let's go for broke. I'll throw another one in here. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. Don't, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Oh. Now, you may say that these songs feature God quite prominently, that he's a good guy in them, even the rescuer. I will tell you that the subject of these songs is not God. The subject of these songs is me. And God's utility in these songs is that he makes me greater. He makes me feel more loved and more free and more royal and more accepted and more satisfied and more glad. Now, for starters, I don't actually believe those things from the people singing those songs. I don't believe, for instance, that everyone singing that song is as satisfied with God as they are claiming while they sing those words. The church in 2023 lives in radical, perhaps unprecedented rebellion toward God. And if self is the God of this age, a compelling argument could be made to that end, why are we singing songs to it in the house of God? In these songs, God is the direct object. He is that which acts to and for me, the true subject. My supposed pleasure with him is what justifies his praise. There are many troubling aspects about the tenor of modern worship music, but one of the big ones is, what if you're in the throes of pain, like you're promised if you follow Jesus, say being persecuted or losing everything? My dear friends just lost their baby this morning. They simply cannot sing the words, I've never felt more loved than I do right now, or I've never felt more glad. That kind of silly claim is paper thin in a rotting world. What a stupid, unreal condition to put on worship. My friends, however, can sing through tears today. They could sing, you, O Lord, are worthy, worthy to receive our praise. So praise him with our lives and lift his name on high. Forgive me, I'm quoting an old, uncool worship song that you've never heard of, and it is not ranked raking in the bucks today, and it will not be sung at your local meeting Sunday morning. Now, I'm sure I've bothered enough people for one day. Please rest assured we'll revisit this topic more in the future. But suffice it to say that me songs miserably and wickedly fail the test of scriptural worship. You is what worship is about, putting our focus on him and singing to him. When I consider the purity of worship that we see in God's throne room and which is commanded of us, then I compare that to the paltry, selfish, surfacy, decrepit music we sing in our houses of worship every weekend. I rather want to cry at what's being stolen from the people of God and from God himself. What the church. Is.